0: A prominent theme throughout the writing of Joseph Ratzinger can be found in a 2002 address of his titled The Feeling of Things, The Contemplation of Beauty. In this essay, he states the following. To admire the icons and the great masterpieces of Christian art in general, leads us on an inner way, a way of overcoming ourselves. Thus, in this purification of vision that is a purification of the heart, it reveals the beautiful to us, or at least a ray of it. In this way we are brought into contact with the power of the truth. I have often affirmed my conviction that the true apology of Christian faith The most convincing demonstration of its truth against every denial are the saints and the beauty that the faith has generated. Today, for faith to grow, we must lead ourselves and the persons we meet to encounter the saints and to enter into contact with the beautiful. That's Joseph Ratzinger. My name is Matt Cheminsky. This is the Curious Catholic Podcast. I include this Ratzinger excerpt as some of its themes arise in the course of the conversation featured in this present episode. I should also add, parenthetically, that this point by Ratzinger sits at the heart of this podcast and what it's all about. More to the point, we've recently been considering briefly some of the contemporary Catholic poetry scene by conversing with poet A.M. Juster and the editor-in-chief of Presence, a journal of Catholic poetry, Marianne Miller. Today, we'll wrap up this three-part series by speaking with poet Jane Greer, whose new collection of poems, titled Love Like a Conflagration, is a must-read, and I don't throw that phrase around loosely. Jane founded the Plains Poetry Journal, a quarterly literary magazine, in 1981, and edited it until 1993. Her poems have been found in numerous publications over the years, including the Yale Literary Magazine, First Things, America, Chronicles, and Modern Age. Her already mentioned new collection of poems, Love Like a Conflagration, was published this year by Lambing Press. There's a link to the book in today's show notes, along with some links to two of the poems included in Jane's volume, so please be sure to go through and take a look. Without further ado, here's the conversation. I was really impressed with your ability to diagnose the human condition. And then it seemed that you sort of break out your scalpel at points. And really, I don't know, I felt revealed while reading the poems, Um, maybe in the way you were just narrating. And um, yeah, so what is it about, I mean, looking at the human person or the human condition, do do you find within our predicament richness for reflection and writing?
1: I think that, that that's the only that's the only richness. Mm-hmm. I mean that that is the richness. Um God and and what he has done, what he has made and and we are what he has made and he wants to be so close to us. Um and and we don't always want that. We do but we don't. Right. Um uh, yeah. and so yeah, uh, we And of course, none of those poems, well, very few of the poems are um, out and out, autobiographical, very few. And yet, I had to have felt or noticed everything that I wrote about. And so that's, that is just the human condition. We, we are, we're clumsy, we're, um, we're self-centered, we're we're selfish and, um, we, we struggle to God and then we back away I and mean, he, he doesn't back away, but we do. Mm-hmm. And so that's the dance that we do.
0: All right. So I guess I'm wondering, backing up, maybe just to how you even begin, you know, uh, rec- you know, writing one of these poems, you know, how do, how does it go? Is there an, an initial experience and you just sort of jump to the notebook or I remember I asked this of A.M. Juster, you know, a couple months ago, and he said when he was young, he used to have to, you know, wake up, get out of bed. And when he had a half of the thought, he'd write it down, but now he lets it gestate for maybe even a couple months. But how does it work for you uh, from experience to, to uh, final work? Well,
1: there was a time in my life, like in my thirties when I would get out of bed in the middle of the night and, and start work. If, if something, um, if a poem thought woke me up. Uh, But it was almost always um, either just a phrase Mm -hmm. or a meter, a meter that was pounding in my head. And while I I don't wake up so often anymore and go into the office to write, Mm -hmm. um, it is still a, a phrase or a meter. And, often I have no idea what that poem is going to be about. I don't know if that phrase will be the first line or the last line or somewhere in the middle, or maybe I will even um, take it out at some point, but Mm. that's the little seed that, you know, that I try to put in fertile soil um, Mm -hmm. and see what happens as I play with it.
0: Yeah. And do you see the writing of poetry as something of a, of a vocation that's been entrusted to you?
1: I do. Um, now, that probably takes some explanation. Sure. Um, I don't. I don't know how far poetry will go to improve the world or change the world. But it's one way that some people, both who write poetry or who like to read poetry, um, can get a new perception of the world. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think that it's a gift that's been given to me. Um, I honestly, I, I can't take a lot of credit for it. When I when I keep the soil fertile, things grow, and when I forget to do that, they don't.
0: And what what goes into making the soil fertile?
1: Um, being willing to hear the the voices in my head, the the phrases or the meters, um, being willing to take time. To just sit with that for a while, maybe you know just um, I agree with a m gesture sometimes you just need to let it come to a boil hmm. first
0: I mean I don't speak like the the technical language of poetry, I just know reading it it It's definitely impactful, and there's a richness there, even if I don't quite get the poem you know, and if it's a good quality poem, I get a sense that there's something of worth here, but what do you think it is about the 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 mode of expression that is poetry that gives it its kick or it's, it's richness or it's really special place in, in the literature of, of the world throughout, uh, you know, human, human civilizations and whatnot.
1: Um, it's language that is in one way or another compressed. Hmm. And when you compress something, it, it grows in power. Um, we, uh, I don't know if you want to get into a conversation about what poetry is and what poetry isn't.
0: Well, that's but... for sure.
1: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> this could be long. <laughs> but there are um, a lot of poets who, um, I really don't think what they write is poetry. Hmm. Uh, it, it may be very good writing. Mm-hmm. It may have a good message. Um, you know, do all kinds of good things, but if it just rambles and rambles, kind of, uh, you know, like like our thoughts ramble, then I don't consider that poetry, um, because poetry is a made thing, like a a vase or a sculpture or a painting. It's it's made. Um, we we have to do things. To that language. And, and what I do to the language is going to be different from what somebody else does to the language. But, but we have to, to put our mark, our mark on what we've made. And so if it just sounds like uh, an elevator conversation, mm-hmm. I don't put that in the category of poetry.
0: Just maybe good writing or a good narrative, but not... Uh, not, not the artifact that is poetry then.
1: Yes. There was an interesting uh, Twitter discussion, oh, it was maybe a year ago, about um, the Gettysburg Address. Mm-hmm. And half the group maintains that it is a poem. Mm-hmm. And the other half of the group maintains that it's just a beautiful piece of writing. Mm-hmm. But that you d- diminish what a poem is when you call it all pieces of good writing poetry. And I agree that Abraham Lincoln, he worked that language. He put his mark on it. Um, it is a gorgeous, meaningful piece of writing, but it didn't cross over the line into poetry for me. Mm -hmm.
0: So how much of what poetry is has to do with its, its form. And, um, you know, um, I'm just wondering about your work with the Plains Poetry Journal and, and the new formalism movement, and and what that responded to, and what it wanted to do. You know, you know, independently of any response to any other forms of poetic expression. So, is that all part of your your understanding then?
1: I think it is. Um, I I started Plains Poetry Journal in '81, and my my view of poetry has not um, veered since then. I think maybe it's enlarged because I've read so much more in those 20 years. There's a line for me on one side of it is poetry and on the other side of it is not poetry, but it's a very thin line sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a judgment call. And, and I don't know that it's that important um i think there's a certain cachet about thinking you're a poet um for some people and so if you write something that you like you you'd like to call it a poem um but it isn't necessarily a poem in my opinion
0: well i was um, i'm wondering i can't get this question out of my mind um you know changing gears here from what isn't isn't poetry to um back to your poems. Uh, I was wondering, you know, what place do, uh, do birds play in your, in your world? Cause there seems to be, they seem to populate, uh, the book quite a bit. Um, and, and what are maybe what do they, what do they do in, in, in your, uh, your poetic work?
1: Well, it wasn't until I put that manuscript together, that collection that turned into be love like a conflagration, um, And some of those poems were 35 years old and some were brand new. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I put them together that I realized how many bird poems I had in there. And um, really, and we have a parrot, as you know, we have Mm -hmm. a parrot in our house. I find birds fascinating. I used to be a much more um, uh, practicing birder than I am now. Um, but but really, birds are all about freedom, and they're they're also kind of prehistoric they're uh, they're like little flying dinosaurs, and they're just a reminder to me of of you know weightlessness and carefreeness although uh, you know a bird's life is very hard. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they they just appeal to the part of me that would like to maybe, you know, be lifted away from this veil of tears sometimes.
0: The one poem that is, is narrating, um, well, the narrator is talking about uh, feeding, uh, was it finches? Oh, yes. And that one really struck me. And I'm like, I'm, I am one of those birds um, as far as, you know, um, in, in my relationship with God, you know, sort of the, the, the ingratitude and,
1: and everything that goes
0: into it. Um, well, I'm
1: one of those birds, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but how do you go? Like, I know this is the poet's craft and, and, you know, it's still nonetheless remarkable and wondrous that you can go from how the bird acts to something like how the human person or humanity as a whole relates to God. So what, what is that transition? Like, is it intuitive? Is it, is it thoughtful? Is it both? Um,
1: Well, uh, that, this poem in the book that you're talking about is really the, the third complete iteration of it. It is nothing like what it started out to be. Um, And, What happens, uh, how do I put this? What should happen, what we hope and pray happens when we write a poem is that the relationship between two things is made clear and and two things that uh, you had never before thought had any relationship to each other i I firmly believe that everything in this world is related. we just don't have a brain that can see it all mm-hmm. um, and so in my poems, I try to um I try to keep myself open to to seeing those relationships and I started out writing about the the angry little finches <laughs> and and then uh it occurred to me that, like you said, I am one of those finches and it, it, it's usually nothing that I do totally on purpose uh, at the beginning, but, but I try to keep my perception open and then to deal with the perceptions that, that come to me. And so that I, I got lucky that time.
0: Yeah, well, I mean it was a wonderful poem and really incisive. Um another one, you know, sticking with the uh the maybe the Animal Kingdom theme, that I wondered when I was reading it if I was just I was seeing something of my future self was the poem Old Dog. Um <laughs> which it's is funny because it is, I mean it's obviously what old dogs do. Um, but obviously you're, you're sort of on the inside of the dog. Um you know, the genesis of wanting to get up to go eat food and then halfway across the kitchen floor, forgetting why you're where you are. Um, So that was sort of whimsical and funny, but also intimation as to what might uh, or life might hold for all of us eventually.
1: Well, I definitely um, see myself as that old dog. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and she was a real old dog and mm-hmm. we loved her very much. And she did exactly what I described there. Mm-hmm. But, but then again, um, as I was noticing her doing that, I realized I was a little bit at that stage of my own life. Like what, what now? What next? Mm-hmm. What? Why did I come in here? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you know, it, even as we're talking about it, or, or I'm trying to, you know, give a synopsis of the poem, again, it's striking me that this is what the poem does, because, you know, my quick couple sentence description does nothing. It pales, it doesn't even pale, it's worse than that in comparison to what the poem does, um, which is why I, I think I appreciate, you know, what you've done with, with the craft here in this book so much, and um you know, moving from animals just to maybe the the animal that is man. I was, the poem Last Things was, there's some humor into it, humor there, but also a real deep critique of maybe the modern sort of United States suburban man. Um, I'm sure a lot of it goes for, for women as well, but, um, what, what, are you, what are you seeing when you write a poem like Last Things and, and someone who's so hedonistically oriented that has no room or very little room for the place of Christ in his life?
1: Well, again, that, that's us, right? Mm-hmm. We, we are that person in one way or another. Um, and it was just uh, the, the notion of Christ knocking on your door. And we've made ourselves so unready to
0: answer that knock. Yeah. And he's, I mean, the pers- the central focus of the poem is, is so taken up with just fleeting pleasures and maybe trying to not to seem that bad. Right. Um, but I thought that was, that was quite incisive. And, um, you know, I, I was interested reading just the, the development of the poems. And I, I guess the poems toward the back of the, te- of the book are older. Right. Is that, am I reading that right? Yes. And then the newer poems are towards the front. Yes. Um I was, I was it seemed like the at least um you know how I was reading them I could be wrong but there's maybe some the more more sense of levity in the newer poems than the older ones is is that something that you see as well or is that my mistaken impression?
1: Um, there's quite a gap between the back of the po- back of the book and the front of the book mm-hmm. and um and I, in putting it all together, I noticed, you know, two different tones. Um, I noticed just the other day, actually, that I love um, I love lyrical poetry. I love when you read it, and it's and it's musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and my poems in the second half of the book are much more lyrical than in general, than, than my poems in the front of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think maybe you're right that i the poems in the front of the book uh, might have a little more humor. I'm a lot older. Mm-hmm. i've I've seen stuff. I know stuff. And um, so I think you're probably right there. Um, i I can see the thread of me going through that book, but uh, but I'm an older
0: me now than I was back then. Yeah. So I was just, I was just wondering, you know, as I was, you know, read a couple poems and put the book down, if um, you know, something had changed in your perception of of the human condition such that you don't, you're not papering over any of our foibles or weaknesses, but it just seemed to me like there was a more of a, a, a ability to, to poke fun at it and to see the humor in our condition, uh, along with the depravity. And I don't know if that comes from, it seemed like there was a much, you know, greater presence of, of the divine and God. And maybe the, as far as just being, maybe there's a confidence. I don't I don't want to read too much into it, but, um, it just seemed like there, at the very least there was something of a development there.
1: Yeah. I think possibly, um, when I was younger, I focused on the depravity. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I see the foolishness of it Mm. and, and, and the humor in it and, and how, how silly it really is, um, that, that, that could be part of it.
0: How, how is that experience for you as, as a writer of poems to, you know, have someone like myself, uh, give, give my impression of the poems and not just me, but anyone is that. How did, how, it, how is that? It's got to be uh, vulnerable to a degree. Oh, it's scary. Mm-hmm. It's
1: very scary. Um, <laughs> when I... Yeah, I... I had some sleepless nights when this book was in the making. Hmm. Um, when production had started, but it wasn't published yet. Um, I, I thought this is a side of me that most people... In twenty twenty who know me, they've never seen this side of me they They don't even know that I write poetry um, i just I don't have any friends who live near me who write poetry and and so i, I mean this is a very there's some kind of intense stuff, yeah. In this book, and I thought, "Oh dear the the sisters at the monastery where I volunteered they're going to see this. <laughs> <laughs> what are they going to think?" And I, I thought that about my family and a lot of my friends, and and it finally that feeling of of terror finally went away. And I thought, mm-hmm. "You know, this is me, and they can take me or leave me." Yeah, so that, that's kind of where I am right now. Yeah. And they've been, it's been fine. I didn't need to worry about
0: that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad that was uh, overcome because, uh, as I said, I think the volume is really, really, really rich. And and it got such great praise. I'm I'm thinking, and this will lead to a question. I'm looking at Sam Hazo's blurb and thinking about his uh, collection of poems, Sexes, and it seems to me like that. Obviously, that book is about you know the relationship between. Um, you know, relationships between men and women, husbands and wives, but that's also a prominent theme throughout your collection of poems um, in lots of ways. I know lo- love going well, love going poorly, uh, love gone stale and a lot of focus on erotic desire um, in its fullness, not in its depraved sensibilities, but why is that such a focus? I mean, it kind of answers itself, but w- why would you desire to write so many poems about this uh, type of relationship?
1: Well, I, I think you'd need to ask that question to every poet in the history of the world. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's what people think about a lot. Yeah. In one way or another, love, you know, love and death. Those are the big, the big two topics. And they're very closely related. And, and I hope that that came out in my book too, that there's, Uh, there's a relationship in both directions and up and down and sideways between love and death.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess maybe a better way of asking the question that I was fumbling through was, how do you view it when you're writing a poem about that erotic love? How should it be considered, especially, you know, coming as you are, you know, everything is, you know, within the context of sort of this maybe sacramental Catholic vision, how should we, I guess, see as a, you know, a poem as an aid to seeing that erotic encounter between man and woman?
1: I guess uh, how I try to handle it um, when, when it rears its ugly head (laughs) (laughs) is, is to just uh, not not sugarcoat what it is mm-hmm. to to present it as what it is in the context that it belongs in, um, and and find something either beautiful or uh, instructive about that.
0: And it does come through the beauty of a married couple, you know, on the verge of their 35th anniversary or so, but also um, some ambiguity in, I'm thinking of the poem, Impediment. Uh, not ambiguity, but, you know, there there's a beauty there, but, you know, there's something in the way, even, you know, obviously the, as the title suggests. So what led to the writing of Impediment? Or I'm sorry, Admit Impediments? Yeah.
1: Um, well, that, of course, is... Uh as a line from Shakespeare, let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Um, and I was just thinking about what, you know, what Ash me- Wednesday means. Okay. There's death. Yeah. Um, ashes. And, and then um, what love means. And, and they're tied together. And somehow no matter how great a love to people have for each other there's always an impediment in between there's always a, a veil of some kind you you know you you can't really climb into each other's brains and so um maybe in heaven that will be possible that mm-hmm. that's kind of what the poem is about
0: yeah yeah and, and thinking of this connection between love and loss I was, I was you know, struck towards the poems toward the back of the book, how the theme of uh, sort of ghostly presence or presence by absence or loss seemed more prominent in those poems. Um, so what does the image of the ghost do for you, you know, in, in a literary fashion? It seemed like you really did a lot with that, and it was very evocative.
1: Uh, a ghost is something that hangs around and you don't really want it to, mm-hmm. but you don't know how to get rid of it, you haven't quite figured that out yet. Um, it's something that you know that you've lost, but you can't leave.
0: So, what sorts of experiences, I guess, lead to that sense of the ghostly?
1: Um, well, maybe like, um, you know, a, a broken relationship, mm-hmm. um, that that. A person's just not healed from yet. Um, would like to be. Would like to be healed from. Would like to be free and clear of. Um, but that that little ghost of it uh, still gets in the way.
0: Yeah, I was. Um, you know, I was just wondering. You know, thinking. You know, towards the back of the book and the ghostly theme that's there. But when you you as a as a poet when an a reader either finishes an individual poem or, or closes the book having finished it. um, Are there hopes on your end of what the reader's experience was like?
1: Sure. Hope, uh, (laughs) (laughs) hopes and expectations are two different things. Um, I I hope that they think I'm the most brilliant poet that there's ever been in the history of the world. Um, My, my, Prayer, I guess, rather than expectation. My prayer is that they um, just maybe saw themselves a little bit. You know, maybe uh, I affected their perception with one poem or, or one line in a poem um, that makes them see something differently and makes them see a relationship between two things that they hadn't thought were related.
0: And maybe more broadly, aside from, you know, even your book and your work, what would be maybe your analysis or sense of the place of poetry, maybe just in the, within the world of Catholic letters or even within the church as a whole, uh, what it is. And speaking of bringing two things together, you know, maybe how you see things as they are and how you would hope and pray things would be for the place of poetry within the, within the church.
1: Well, um, the topic of of all arts within the church is a big topic for me, mm-hmm. um, because i think I think we're losing them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can get them back, but um, all kinds of uh, all kinds of rioters and and poets and artists. Um, have become aware that and they may be Catholic or they may not be Catholic, but have been aware that you know the Catholic Church for two thousand years was um, was where their beauty was mm-hmm. we We built cathedrals um, our our monks made beautiful books um, you know we the Catholic Church you know our Renaissance painters, um, of course, all Catholic, and and we have lost the sense of that. And honestly, uh, this world right now is, is lost. You don't have to be permanently lost, but right now I think that the, the Western world, at least, is lost and pretty secular, and the way to find our way back home is through beauty, because no matter what religion you are, or if you have no religion at all, um, humans respond to beauty in a particular way. Beauty and truth, mm-hmm. and and so, what poetry could do for the church um, is what you know building more beautiful churches would do, or having more beautiful art inside those churches, and more, oh goodness, don't get me started, more beautiful church music. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's what poetry could do to bring people back to the church. Um, and I know a lot of us are, are trying, but um, I, I see beauty as the key.
0: Yeah. No, and I would, I would definitely agree with that. And what's interesting to me in you know, my experience of reading your poems is that there was a, a real dangerous type of beauty in there in the sense that it wasn't saccharine, it wasn't uh, flowery, um, you know, it was expressing reality from a different angle that, you know, makes you cock your head and look at it anew, but then thinking of the, the, tri- the transcendental. So it, it was beautiful, it was true. And then I felt at the same time, you know, that surgical like um, quality to it and that it was an encouragement or at least a motivation towards uh, goodness as well. Um, So I think, you know, as you're saying, there's a lot of people out there, you know, um, artists, commentators, theologians, philosophers commenting on the importance of beauty as sort of maybe being the primary uh, mode of approaching the world. And it seems like the goodness can come along with it. Um, as opposed to leading with the with with the morality um, you know approach first, so that what you were just saying made me think of that in reference to my experience of reading your poems
1: yeah, the the talk um there always needs to be language involved, but um and, and we have some amazing Catholic apologists and theologians and historians who. Who use words beautifully Mm -hmm. but sometimes you just need um you need a michelangelo you know you need you need to see something where all of your brain your brain registers nothing but beauty um and then sometimes that's the doorway and uh we are surrounded by words these days and And I frankly don't believe a lot of words that I read. Um, I'm not talking about fiction or poetry now. I'm talking about in the news. I don't, you know, all these millions of words, um, none of them are to be believed. Um, And so beauty is is just what it is. It it can't fake you out.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. There is a cacophony of words and, um, and I think that's completely right, as far as you know we we just get so numbed. And even just in the experience of reading online, I have a tough time reading anything of true depth and substance and length, especially um, online. Um, there's just too much. But you're right, the beautiful experience that's before you, that's incarnational and um, you know unavoidable. I think you're right. That's what hacks the powerful. Powerful punch. And it does remind me of, you know, Joseph Ratzinger's, you know, his refrain throughout so much of his work regarding what's really the, the most effective apologetic for the faith. Um, well, too you know, beauty and, and the saints whose lives are beautiful. So yes. this is very consonant with all that.
1: And when, when you're using words, um, you are mainly appealing to people's intellect. Mm-hmm. But when you show them something beautiful, the intellect has nothing to do with it—at least at first. You're 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 piercing right to their soul. Mm-hmm.
0: And if there is this cacophony of words, and you want to cut through it, then that's the way to do it, I guess, right?
1: Yes, I think so.
0: So, what would be some signs? you? I mean the 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 diagnosis is that presently we're a thirst for beauty and always needful of it, but especially now, are there any signs of hope on the landscape that you can see Uh, maybe individuals or or groups or what have you?
1: I I see a lot of hope Um, there. I see a resurgence of formalist poets and people listening might think, well, what does that necessarily have to do with beauty? Mm -hmm. But to me, um to be a formalist means a part part of what it means is that uh you believe that something that a person can do with words and with an idea might be good might be beautiful um to really really manipulate uh the material that's there and and make a thing from it um a beautiful picture, a beautiful vase, a beautiful poem, and so there I see a lot more uh, poems that are not just um, ragged free verse. And and to me, the the secularization of America kind of started when free verse got popular. Mm. And I I can't tell you exactly what the relationship is i haven't figured that out but i know they both kind of occurred around the same time um and there are amazing religious artists and catholic artists and that doesn't mean that they only paint virgins and children you know virgin and child or or only paint jesus or it means that there's a sensibility in their painting that that there is hope and that there is God and God God makes the world beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I see all kinds of hope.
0: Yeah, well, I th- I think your your book would fall in that category too. I thought um, again, it's not one that I'm just going to give away. I'm going to buy extra copies for people.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My publisher, uh, thanks you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's just. You know, I wanted to have read the whole thing for us talking, and um, I knew that I would want to come back to some of them. Um, Is there any, I mean, would you like to read one?
1: Um, Well, you talked a lot about Old Dog. Should I read that one?
0: That's great. I just leafed by it, and I was wondering, is that the one? And then you said that, so let's go with it.
1: Old Dog. Her food and water live across the room. She has a thought, she lifts her nose. She measures and weighs effort and risk. Her hungers bloom, the long, slick floor between her and her pleasures. And then decides, long stretches, fore, then hind. And she sets off, her stiff legs under control, eyes on the prize, just one thing on her mind. Listing only slightly, she reaches the goal and then just stands there, rueful and perplexed, inches from paradise without a clue. She sits, she stares at the wall, not sure what's next, how she has come there, what she had meant to do.
0: That is a great one. Um, well, I'm thinking, you know, since obviously the title of the book is drawn from the first poem, could I could I ask you to read that one as well?
1: You would never have to beg a poet to read one of the
0: <laughs> poems. <laughs> I, I thought I'd at least, you know, introduce, introduce my request that way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, it, this poem is, is uh, in the voice of the archangel Michael, and I call him Mikael. In Hebrew, El, um, which you will find on a lot of Hebrew words, means God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is about Mikael, and it's called Mikael. You loll yourselves with dimple handed cherubs, simpering in your étagère half naked, small breasted maidens, tissue winged and swooning there on your desktop. All those complacent, fleshy, pastel eunuchs posing with harp or horn on the Christmas mantle. You underestimate to your own peril whom we have come from, whom we are acting for, and it's too late now. Suddenly, it's too late to ask for mercy. Mercy is what you'll get, his wide-armed mercy, but you won't like it. He has been with you at your elbow, lovesick, down the millennia. He knows you deeply, yet still encumbers your black hearts with blessings. Willing, unwillful swain, he has wept and waited while you mocked him. Finally, now, the muscles of his jawline clench and unclench beneath that holy shadow. Enough is enough. Don't act as though some game's been played unfairly. He's never skimped on prophets since he breathed you out of the mud and on your way to heaven, yours for the asking. But you were too intent on what you'd crawled from. You can't begin to dream what you've rejected. What we would give to need his fierce salvation require his dying. Love like a conflagration shall be yours now. Love like an April river, like a temblor. Love like an avalanche, a midnight bomb blast, finding you hidden. Shrieking the air with shards of stained glass windows. Love like a sunstorm, sweeping before it nations, continents, galaxies, and all your Hebrus. Yes. Say your prayers now. This is your precious moment. I, its angel, angry and dark and terrible. God with us, Emmanuel, comes bearing yet more mercy, but you won't like it.
0: Thanks to Jane Greer for the generous gift of her time and insight. It was a delight speaking with her, and I enjoyed hearing her thoughts on poetry, beauty, and our human predicament. Hers is a book I'll be buying for people in the coming years, in part because it is such a moving work, but also because I'm not giving my copy away. In other words, you can't have it get your own. And helping you to do just that is a link in today's show notes that will take you to a place where you can pick up the volume for yourself. There's also links to the texts of both Old Dog and Mikael, which as you know were recited by Jane in this episode. Well, This is going to wrap up season one of the Curious Catholic Podcast. We've managed to record and produce 20 episodes over the past year or so. So if you haven't had a chance to take them all in, I certainly hope you do so in the near future. During this past year, we've considered the life, times, and work of Edith Stein, John Henry Newman, St. Augustine, Duns Scotus, and some contemporary Catholic poets, including today's guest, Jane Greer. I'm going to take some time to work on season two in the coming months and we'll look forward to pulling it together in the new year. In the interim, I hope and pray you have a joyful and full Advent and Christmas. Be sure to live up that octave. Until the next time we meet, though, let's continue journeying further up and further in.